Welcome to It's All About the Story, grief stories that connect us. This podcast takes you into the lives of people who have gone through loss and have come out the other side to experience joy again. Each story is someone's lived experience and reveals how wrestling with grief can turn loss into wisdom. You might even find some of these insights helpful in your own grief journey. Come, meet the people like yourself who have experienced loss and who now openly share their story with us. And now, here is your host, Rick Berg. Well, welcome everybody to It's All About the Story, Grief Stories That Connect Us. I'm your host, Rick Berg, and it is wonderful to be together once again. You know, it's interesting. Um, when you think about people who can care for you in your grief journey, you're probably thinking of well, maybe counselors, uh, maybe trusted friends, uh, maybe a local clergy person, somebody who's uh, has experience in this area. But have you ever thought about a horse? Or an animal that might be part of your grief journey or loss journey. Well, today's guest is going to talk about that and give us some information that maybe will be very helpful for some of you out there in the grief world. So I'm very excited today to welcome Becky Court to It's All About the Story. Becky, welcome. Thank you. It's so good to be here with you, Rick. Wonderful. Well, you know, I, I love talking with people uh, who are in this industry. Um, I don't. I don't even like. Call, I don't even like to call it industry a calling. I think people are called to this kind of work in the grief and loss uh, area of life, and I find it so fascinating that uh, those who uh, enter into this calling usually have a story of their own to tell. Something in their past that has impacted them, or you know, uh, kind of pushed them towards this particular type of calling. And I. Uh, you do too. You have a little bit of a story yourself. It's not a little story. It's a big story that's impacted you, um, you know, as a young person. So could you tell us a little bit of, of that story as it kind of leads into your calling in bereavement and of life? Absolutely. So um, I always have had a passion to help, um, but I got an undergrad degree in psychology and that was kind of my plan to go on in psychology. But um, my mom was diagnosed with uh, leukemia when I was in my senior year of undergrad, and um, that kind of changed the trajectory of everything. I ended up taking a year off um, between undergrad and graduate school, and in that year of uh, being there to support my mom while she went through chemotherapy and ultimately a bone marrow transplant, um, I met her bone marrow transplant social worker and really learned of social work that way. And, and then um, in the course of her continuing struggles um, and ultimate um, death uh, after two and a half years of battling leukemia, um, I benefited greatly when I gained support in the wake of her death. And so I think that really put me on the path to ultimately wanting to do grief work. And I, throughout the course of my career, I worked with children and families and um, 
different healthcare settings, everything from residential treatment to pediatric oncology. And so there was loss throughout all of that. So, um, but I didn't get to kind of do the focused grief support, like where that was really all I was doing until I came to hospice work in 2011. And um, it, it's been a very big part of my meaning making after my mom's death to be able to help those who now grieve. So you had a social work degree and you entered into the hospice world, um, caring for people. Um, it's an interesting transition for me to think about, um, you know, providing now equine assistant therapy, which is really, I mean, when you think about it, at least when I think about it, it's like you're giving your work over to somebody else. Or maybe it's companioning with somebody else, that is a horse, to do this work. So what, why, what got, what got you uh, motivated or interested in, um, you know, equine assistant therapy? So kind of along with the whole, always had a lifelong desire to help others, I've also had a lifelong love of horses. And, um, and as far back as I can remember, it just been so uh, benefic- benefited by time with them. So had took lessons, had my own horse um, when I was 12, and then we moved to a different state. So I had to sell him and then bought another one. And so I've had horses. And then um, through some of the course of life, becoming a mom, and a wife, it kind of all got a little tucked, but never gone. I always found ways to still have horses in my life, even if it was just going to performances of you know hunter jumpers or uh, different horse performances. I always, always they've been there. And then, uh, and then you know, with the evolution of. Uh, and this has been years and years coming, but it, and it's still in its infancy as far as you know, insurance companies recognizing equine therapy as you know a modality they'll reimburse. Unfortunately, but um, but even as it's been coming, that had, it's just been it, it seemed to me that it would be a wedding of my two you know biggest passions, and um, and so I went through a certification two year. Um, certification process here in Colorado. We're actually fortunate enough to have a really strong um, program called the Gestalt Equine Institute of the Rockies. And it's a two-year program with eight intensives where we get didactic learning, but also um, practice. And um, and so went through that process. And just last year, actually, um, May of 2023, was able to partner with a, a friend who has a, a barn and um, contract with her basically to to be able to start a small private practice in addition to continuing my hospice work, uh, grief counseling. So uh, you were mentioning that you had horses all your life then. So before you even took the training, you know, in this area, obviously you must have a, had an understanding of, of the companionship that a horse can mm-hmm. provide for you personally, mm-hmm. you kind of had lived experience, I would think. Would that yes. be a fair statement? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think um, throughout my life, I would say animals and nature have always been just such a, a resource for me to kind of go to when 
you know, I needed whatever I needed, you know, whether it's support, mm-hmm. regulation, whatever. And um, and I think the thing that kind of really brought that all back up was the when we went through the pandemic, like I noticed that I also then turned really heavily to nature mm-hmm. and horses um to cope with that big adjustment in our world. And um and so that's when I think it really crystallized it all for me that, you know, if if I'm just sitting out here or spending time with oh, the horse that I lease currently and and coming away changed, mm-hmm. um, that I I need to bring that to my clients. Mm. Yeah, you know, I think uh, I mean uh, the yeah, the pandemic was really hard on people and, and I think we all saw that up uprise in, in people, you know, wanting pets. And to have, mm-hmm. you know, pets in their life, and you know, when I look at people, uh, you know, cuddling with their animals, or, or or talking with them, or playing with them, or running with them, it's really heartwarming. Mm-hmm. But there's more to this than just the warm fuzzy, and I think that uh, our listeners would love to know a little bit of the science behind equine therapy. You know, like what. What makes a horse different or unique in their engagement with people who are going through loss than any other uh, animal? Um, well, you know, kind of, I guess we'll start with just the, you know, animals in nature in themselves are, you know, kind of, they provide non-judgmental witness. And and often that's what we so desire when we're going through loss is, you know, just presence um without trying to problem solve and and nature and animals do that but i think what makes horses different is that technically as big as they are they're an animal of prey um dogs and cats are predators um and so they just show up different in the world and horses because of that um being an animal of prey they have a positive bias to be in in their sympathetic nervous system, meaning they 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 run then think. Um, that's kind of how they're built, and um, and so, but they learn to live in the world that way. And I think that provides a powerful model for those of us who are when we're grieving, is because when we're grieving, we also spend a lot of time um, in fight or flight, you know, that's, that's how the brain experiences the death of someone dear to us is it, it sees it as a direct threat to our own mortality and kicks us into fight or flight. And so when we're grieving, we also spend, um, time in fight or flight. And so I think having an animal that can model for us how to move into arousal, you know, and, and arousal in grief is how we, you know, when we get triggered by a, um, a memory or a smell or a song or whatever, when we experience a grief trigger, that is arousal. Um, and it's in grief, it's important that we go there, feel it, and then resume life. And horses model that beautifully. That's, you know, they, they run, pause once they can see the dangers past, they resume living, drop their head and start grazing again. Um, and that's just a nice model because us humans can either get stuck in a pattern of not letting ourselves go into feeling or um, getting stuck there. And so I think that's one of the things that a horse does 
better because of how they're built as a prey animal. Um, I think they're also highly in, in attuned to their environment because they're a prey animal. You know, that's how they stay safe as being very aware of what's going on around them. Um, and because of that, they really pick up on the thoughts, feelings, and behaviors that we bring in when we come in contact with them. So, um, and how they respond to those mm-hmm. thoughts, feelings, and behaviors we bring leads to us having greater self-awareness because again, horses aren't averse to any of our intense feelings. What they're averse to is when we don't own them. So if we're not congruent, which is how we can get in grief, you know, we don't want to be vulnerable. So we pretend we're feeling fine when really we're not. Um, That's where a horse would potentially react to that and just steer clear of you. Um, which then again makes us think, okay, what what's going on with me mm. that's keeping that horse at a distance? And then even often in just considering, oh, okay, there's something with me, and then there's some self-awareness, the horse will then move in, um, which is just, there's nothing much more powerful than that, than these big animals who can choose to go away or can choose, because that's, you know, in the counseling, they're not restrained or anything. You're in a space with them, but they can come and go. And so they give you feedback based on the thoughts, feelings, and behaviors you bring in with you. And that's like real-time um, feedback. And then it, it does, it leads to huge self-awareness wow. in, in the person. That's amazing. So, um Let's take a situation, um, you know, somebody comes with some some anger within. Mm-hmm. Uh, they approach their uh, their horse. So are you saying then that the horse would recognize that anger and keep a distance for a while and that the individual would then recognize that this is a feeling that perhaps needs to be engaged in the and the horse then kind of enters in after a while. Is that a picture of? Um, possibly. Horses would not necessarily be um, avoidant of anger um, okay. if that was being acknowledged. So if you're feeling angry and you come in and you're like, I'm angry, um, as long as that anger energy is is channeled in, in a way that that doesn't activate their sympathetic response, meaning you know, throw something across the pasture or, um, you know, do anything really aggressive, then they would be, you know, they would not necessarily avoid that. It's, it's, so it would, it would teach. And then if someone did do something impulsive when they're with their anger, the horse would then, then would get away. And that all, again, that feedback helps us to modulate. So it's it's not so much that it's more about the how we express the feelings that they might avoid okay. or failing to own them, you know, not being congruent with our feelings, because that to them feels um, unsafe when you're not congruent. Like if you're sad and you come out and you start crying, it's not at all unusual that they would 
come close. And I've even had them stand close. It's enough for a client to like lay on them, lean against them and cry. Um, so it, it's, it's not, it's not, they, they can't manage intense feelings. It's how we express them and, and also that we own them. I love that self-awareness piece. You know, that's, that's very powerful because, and how you talk, first of all, about being non-judgmental. You know, I'm thinking about in a, in a counseling situation where you're, you're trying to sometimes understand a feeling of somebody by maybe even sometimes suggesting that they might be angry or they might be whatever, you know, but here it's like, no, you're not judging any feeling. You're allowing that space, I suppose, for it to come back and for you to recognize it for yourself. Yes. Yes. Horses don't have a neocortex, so they don't, they have feelings, absolutely, but they don't analyze them. And um, we do. And often that's what kind of gets us swamped emotionally in grief. And so um, it's, that's just a powerful, like, that's what makes them like that true non-judgmental witness is that they don't even have the capacity to analyze. They just know their environment. And then I think another piece is horses are really good at relationship. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's how they stay safe. Like they um, function in a herd in the wild. And even us horse owners really know that it's almost, I won't say cruel, but almost cruel to have just one horse. Horses are so social mm. that you almost, and, and some people will get companion animals if they can't afford two horses, like a goat or a donkey or a sheep or something, because horses are so social um, and they rely so heavily on their um, relationships that it's not what they don't tend to do as well um, on their own, uh, um, even in captivity, and because they would never be on their own in, in the wild. Not typically. And so, like, that's another really big piece, I think, of what horses bring is the importance of um, of connection and relationship in times of struggle. And, um, and they, with another beautiful thing horses do for each other, I actually got to saw, see in action yesterday, is they, they co-regulate. So when when there's not danger because of course we can't co-regulate when we're activated same goes for horses but when there's not danger present they co-regulate their nervous systems um and when we come in in a non-predatory way meaning we just come in and we're present and we're in contact with them they will co-regulate our nervous system so often when I leave time with my horse, I feel like I've had a really good massage because <laughs> I, um, I, they, he's basically co-regulated with me. Wow. That's amazing. You know, you, when you're talking about, um, I was, I was thinking about community, you know, the important, mm-hmm. you know, so often we, you know, we know that, you know, grief and isolation is, is, is not a healthy way to, uh, you know, I know we need our time, we need our time alone, of course, in our grief journey. Mm-hmm. But I mean, there's all kinds of research about the importance of of being part of a community. You know, as we uh, go through this journey, and um, it's fascinating that horses understand community, and 
and they teach us that as well and the importance of that that's really really absolutely that's really yeah i i was in preparing for today i um actually found a quote from um stephen porges of um polyvagal theory i mean this the move you know our autonomic nervous system and he says that trauma is a chronic disruption of connected connectedness and so that is like exactly what horses help us to overcome is in um in helping us to just be in relationship actually to just be in the here and now right. um with them that connection helps us heal because we heal in relationship well you know i'm just thinking about this uh a few of the clients that i've i've uh, had lately find it hard to find somebody to share their grief journey with. Mm -hmm. Somebody, you know, a caring friend. I mean, some go to counseling, some don't. But I've often heard the phrase, I just, I can't find somebody who just listen to me or somebody mm -hmm. who would just, you know, sit with me and not have me to say something or somebody just to lean on and without something coming back. You know, and so you know, when I think of the of of the horse, it's again non-judgmental. It provides a connection piece. Mm -hmm. and, you know, regulates. And this is fascinating. So I'm really interested in, and and I think our hearers would be really interested in, like what what does an equine therapy session look like, and you know, what are some of the positive outcomes that you've heard from your clients? Um. Well, of course. You know, the session can be as diverse as as the 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 unique experience that grief is. but um, but it really is about start it's the start of any of these sessions is always a, a a practice of body and breath and grounding because again, horses can't connect with someone who's checked out. You, if you're disassociated or just really distracted, um, which again, that tends to be our go-to when we're overwhelmed and in grief, we're often overwhelmed. Um, so if you don't get present, if you don't come in um, grounded and some, you know, presence, they, they don't have anything to connect with. Mm. It's almost like you're a ghost. So like most sessions would begin with just some basic body and breath awareness. It's not deep meditation because I don't think you have the focus to do that in grief, but just just calling attention to your body and some intentional breath and and also just an awareness. So, you know what is what is your body bringing today? Because it helps again with our self-awareness if we know what we're bringing in so then we know what horses are responding to. Um, so, Again, just a scan, kind of like that kind of a thing, and just to just to help the client be aware of what they are bringing in and what their body's telling them, and then and then usually it, it it's about connection. Like the whole session is just about helping them be in connection with both the counselor and also with the horse and nature, and and so. Um, different ways to do that like sometimes it's as simple as you carry a grooming kit out with you and 
um, you just, you know, I, you know, because we teach the clients about how to stay safe with the horse, how to read their ba- their body language, mm-hmm. you know, when they're telling you to give them space, when they're open, how you greet a horse. And so um, the first time a client comes, we, we do, we usually do what we call a meet and greet. We go and meet all the horses in the herd um, and see, like, because it takes time. I see you, these, the horses have a choice. And the client has a choice about who, which horse might be the best fit for them, depending, because horses have good days and bad days, just like we do. <laughs> and so you, we do like a meet and greet and then see um, who might be a good fit. And um, sometimes the horse tells you who's a good fit. Literally, we've had horses approach the client. So it's not even, you know, always the client approaching a horse. And and then just different ways of, of being in contact in it you know, can be anything from grooming to putting a halter on them and leading them. Um, It can be uh, activities. So uh, kind of like some practice with like, almost you can set up little obstacle courses, which get the client working with the horse to move through something difficult. Again, an analogy Mm -hmm. um, for grief and, um, you know, it can be just any combination of those things. And it's really, it's not something you pre-plan because it's really about being in the here and now and, and seeing what shows up. So you just have to have some ideas in your pocket um, it, that would allow you to explore whatever does come up in the here and now. Um, but, but we, you know, these are the ways we help them build connection. And very rarely is there riding, but sometimes there is. Sometimes. Um, there is value in some mounted time. It that typically is though with the counselor still um keeping the horse on a halter and lead line so that the rider can be present um with just the movements of the horse versus in, versus trying to be in control, which tends to take us a little bit into our head um when we want them to be really more um here and now present versus um thinking too hard, getting caught in the, the content, you know, the cognitive aspect of things being present and experiencing. So it, it really varies, but it is completely focused on connection um, between the client and the counselor and then, and the client and the horse. So sometimes you have periods of total silence. If the client's in connection with the horse, um, then you don't interrupt that right with you just let it be so at the end of those sessions what are some of the kind of think back some of the comments or you know what what did the client say coming out of those experiences it very much speak to the whole like you said earlier about just the the non-judgmental component the Mm -hmm. ability to feel whatever they needed to feel and have it be accepted and not, um, you know, the horse didn't flee from it. So a, an experience of of presence that didn't judge and didn't leave either. Um, horses, they don't try to fix, you know, and that's one of the biggest complaints I get from grief clients is they're like, every time I try to tell anyone about my grief, they just want to problem solve it. Or they throw cliches at me. 
And horses, they don't try to fix it. They practice and model being present, even if the present hurts. And um, it's it's just a powerful model for those who are grieving and also for me, honestly, like it, when I'm able to accomplish that, then clients feel safe enough to feel, which is the way to healing and grief. So they, it's just, again, that non, non judgmental presence. um, And just the awareness that, like sometimes it even it helped freeze them of their own judgment of their process because they they see the horses move in and out of all you know the that you might see a horse move another horse because that's how they communicate and or like pin their ears and snap at them to move them but then they they're grazing side by side like best friends again you know and and just again people will say they they're not holding grudges <laughs> and and it also kind of encourages self-compassion in that way because they can see that they're not not only are they not judging them they're not judging each other um and they like i've had clients say that it was just freeing like freeing that they um that their feelings are normal and that they can move in and out of them and not get stuck or get swamped. Um, and that that alone is such a powerful lesson. I One person came only two times because she learned by the second one, she said, so this is all, I, I, not, I have the, inside of me, I have the ability to cope with whatever feelings come up. And we did that. We did some grounding and breath. And so that breath, body, present moment focus helped her feel equipped to deal with whatever came versus live in dread of the next grief trigger trigger. Hmm. You know, it's fascinating. You know, um, I think we kind of have the same philosophy a little bit of uh, working with people who are grieving because, you know, whenever I'm working with clients, there's so much that's coming back to me from the client that is mm-hmm. speaking to me or, um, you know, you talk about meaning making or, or, you know, how to make meaning of life, but how do you, how, you know, so they're speaking, I, I often say to, you know, to people, I, I love this work because of what, what I'm actually, what I'm receiving. It's not only what I'm giving, it's what I'm receiving. So here we have a, a relationship with the horse to a person and they're giving each other something. And so I'm interested in, you know, uh, what, what your biggest learnings are, you know, as, as, as a professional, like what have you learned from the horses that, that, uh, that you didn't know previously that is important to your work as a professional counselor now? What are they talking well, about important? Yeah. Yeah. I, so many things. Oh my goodness. In the course of that, my intensive, my certification, I feel like it was the best therapy I ever have gone through because I was, I was just so much more self-aware on the other side, you know, all the ways that I would self-sabotage and um, get so stuck in that, that neocortex that, you know, makes us different, but also can be our biggest enemy, how I would have the tendency to try to 
fix um, with clients. Um, that was one of the things that I, you know, that it really is as simple. Like horses have taught me that it's as simple as being being there. It's not so much what I'm doing or what I'm saying. Um, it's being and um that's it. I mean, it really is that simple. It's being and being in contact and being in relationship with them. So like that's I think the most powerful lessons that horses have just they just show me over and over and over again that uh, it's not mine to fix. And that was very freeing um, and that there's great power in what are my you know, strongest suits. I think that most of us who are drawn to grief counseling, you know, compassion, um, empathy, those, those are tend to be our strong suits and that those, those are enough. You know, we just, by being present and um, giving space um, and be you know creating safety through that relationship with the client that we're that's all that Ned needs to be happening because grief is an innate process it's not it's not something we have to make happen we have to allow it to happen and not interfere and by us as the counselor just being there not trying to fix not trying to problem solve being and in relationship, being in contact, being present with them, basic coping. That's, that is our best service. And horses taught me that because my tendency was, you know, to sometimes do more work than my clients were. And um, (laughs) just out of a great desire to make change, take over and be in control. And, and that is not how horses work. And, and it's taught me that's not helpful and it drives me crazy. I'm therefore then not as present to my clients. So it's just been a a win-win in terms of them really helping me to see that just being and being in relationship is actually fertile ground for healing. So if people wanted to, uh, to get a hold of you, um, you're from Morrison, Colorado, um, and so, um, I guess they can email you. We can put your email in the show notes. Um, what if people just want to talk to you more about this type of therapy? Are you open to chatting with them or? Sure. Sure. Yeah. Because this, you know, it is a growing, um, there's, there is more and more research being done, uh, mm-hmm. you know, with the populations that benefit really no one would be harmed by this work. I don't think anyone could would not benefit, but there definitely are, you know, um, more and more research, more and more programming, um, because it is proving to be so very valuable. And so, yeah, I'd be happy to help even people find things in their local area. Mm -hmm. Um, but it, there are, uh, there are more and more, and it's very encouraging, um, with the hope that one day, even our here in the United States, at least that our, um, managed care would start to recognize it as a a very valuable resource. So yes, I'd be open to being a support however I could. Thank you. So, you know, those who are listening out there, 
have just a final thought as I learned so much from Becky today. Um, perhaps you're one of those individuals who have tried all kinds of different alternatives. You maybe gone to a psychologist or a psychiatrist or a grief counselor, um, and maybe you want to try something different. Maybe, maybe um, this might be an opportunity for you to reach out to include uh, equine assistant therapy in your grief journey. Or maybe there's somebody out there who you know um, who's struggling, and maybe they're part of a a farm, maybe they have experiences with horses, maybe they don't, but maybe that would be a connection for them to get some of the help they need with a non-judgmental, I love that, non-judgmental, compassionate, community-orientated kind of uh, approach to this grief journey. So please pass on this podcast to as many as you can. And Becky, I want to thank you again for being on It's All About the Story. This has been just, just amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rick. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining us today on It's All About the Story, Grief Stories That Connect Us. We hope this podcast was encouraging to you. There are so many different types of loss. Why not take time to listen to some of the other unique stories in this podcast series? Feel free to share them with family, friends, neighbors. If you'd like to receive notifications about the next episode in the series, please subscribe and we'll make sure you don't miss out. We hope that you'll be joining us again on It's All About the Story, Grief Stories That Connect Us with host Rick Berg. Take good care.